Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. Lord, I pray again, Lord, that you just speak this morning. We thank you so much for your presence in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, We are going to continue today in a series we started last week on David and Goliath. Uh, We're trying to go deep into the context of the story of David and Goliath. And last week, we looked at how when you peel back the layers of the story of David and Goliath, what you find is it's not really a story of David and Goliath. It's a story of David and King Saul. Uh, The idea is, is to see how King Saul responds to Goliath versus how the shepherd boy David responds to to Goliath. So specifically last week, we looked at how Saul, uh, in the beginning of his his reign as king, was the man that they thought he would be. He was uh, gathering armies of hundreds of thousands and going up against nations, defending the nation of Israel. But by the time we get to chapter 17, what we find is Goliath uh, is, is calling out to the Israelites, and it says that all of Israel and King Saul are shaking in fear. Uh, So we asked the question last week, how does Saul go from the man who is leading armies of thousands to the man who is shaking in fear? And we found that a a chapter earlier in 1 Samuel 16, where it simply says, the spirit of the Lord departed Saul and settled on David. So uh, this morning, I want to pick up right where we left off in the story. So at this point, remember, the armies have been gathering for, for battle every day. For 40 days, the Israeli army is on one mountain, the Philistine army is on another mountain, and there is a valley in between them. Neither side wants to attack because to attack is to give up the high ground. It's to put yourself at a disadvantage. So instead of attacking, the Philistines have been sending Goliath down into the valley to challenge the Israelites, saying, you send your best man up against me, and it's a winner-take-all sort of event. What happens is David arrives to bring food to his brothers, and he begins asking questions. Who does this guy think he is? And and what did Saul say he'll do for the man who defeats this guy? And then he goes to the next guy, and he says, what did Saul say he'll do for the guy that defeats this guy? And the Bible says uh, that Saul heard David was asking all of these questions, so he summoned for David. That's where we're going to pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning in verse 31. It says, what David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Now, I've highlighted some areas on the screen just because we're going to come back to those later. So he says he's defied the armies of the living God. On, On to verse 37, it says, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. 
David fastened on his sword over the tunic uh, and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in his pouch of a, uh, the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with a sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with a shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. And he said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. And David said to the Philistine, You come against me with the sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you, you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the, to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of, it, uh, all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag, taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with a sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Now, I mentioned something last week that I want to spend a little bit more time on today, and that is just the entire concept of what's taking place in this story, uh, and it's called single combat. When one soldier would represent one side in battle, and one soldier would represent the other side in battle, my best against your best, it was, it was a common practice called single combat. Now, I want to make sure you don't miss this because uh, fully understanding the significance uh, of, the, uh, of single combat is actually absolutely pivotal to understanding what is happening in the story of David and Goliath. So I'm going to talk about single combat for just a moment. Uh, this practice was used around the world, not just in Scripture and just to name a few. Uh, it was used in Egypt. It was used in Rome, it was used in Arabia, it was used in Japan. It was extremely common in Russia. In certain parts of India, it was still be, being used as recently as about 200 years ago. Now, in some instances, this fight between the side's two top warriors was meant to be sort of a prelude or a kickstart to the battle. So the two men would fight, and as soon as one slays the other, that was like the sounding bell, and the battle would commence from there. In other instances, and this seems to be the case with David and Goliath, a single combat was intended to be a winner-take-all event. So it was a way of, of avoiding mass casualties in your army. I would just send my best against your best. If you win, you take it all, and we're your servants. That's kind of what's happening here. However, all of that is actually only what's taking place on the surface in this story. 
So there is a Roman historian who lived during the time of Christ. Uh, his name is Titus Livius. So uh, in his historical circles, he's more commonly known as Livy. But he died uh, in 17 AD. So he lived during the days of Christ. He, he died about 15 years before the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But when he was alive, he wrote an extensive history of the country of Rome um, uh, from the time of 753 BC up into his own lifetime. And he called it appropriately the history of Rome. And as he's writing uh, the history of Rome, he, he writes about one specific battle that took place in 350 BC between the Roman army and the army of a, a place called Gaul, G-A-U-L. So that's around modern-day France in that region. But in this battle, single combat was used. Uh, in this battle, uh, it's the same concept as David and Goliath, only the Roman soldier was named Marcus Valerius, and he was fighting against the great uh, soldier of the Gaul army. Now, what he does so clearly in this history book uh, is he gives us incredible insight into how single combat was viewed, how it was understood by those who practiced it. So what I'm going to do uh, is I'm going to read three excerpts from this history book that he wrote. Um, uh, this is the History of Rome, Book 7. And understand as I'm reading this, this was not the exception, this was the rule. This was how people viewed single combat. So he's writing about this battle, and this is the first thing that he says about it. He says, the human element in the fight was thrown into the shade by the direct interposition of the gods. In other words, the human element and the human battle taking place is actually secondary to the divine. The belief was in single combat that it wasn't just two men fighting, it was the gods on this side fighting against the gods on the, the next side. The next quote, if you would, Silas, he says, uh, after the Roman soldier wins, he says, the soldiers were exultant at their tribune's victory and at the manifest presence and help of the gods. And then finally he says this, he says, gods and man alike took part in the battle and it was fought to the finish. The understanding of single combat was not simply your best man against my best man. The understanding was, this is your God against my God. And that's why the first thing Goliath does on the battlefield is he begins to curse David by his gods. And then David responds by saying, well, I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. Because the belief was on the battlefield, it was not man against man, it was God against God. And David recognized this is not my battle against Goliath, this is God's battle against your false gods. And church, when he recognizes this, he says, what's the concern here? We have Yahweh on our side, we have the living God fighting for us, I will go to battle against Goliath. Church, when we recognize that so many of our battles we fight every day belong to the Lord, it changes everything. But we have this opportunity again to contrast the shepherd David with King Saul because David recognized, hey, this is spiritual. This is a spiritual matter, uh, matter and I've got nothing to worry about. But Saul, on the, on the other hand, was so intimidated 
by this physical obstacle in front of him that he could not even see this was a spiritual battle. Instead, he's saying to David, you can't fight Goliath. Goliath is bigger than you. He is a warrior. He says, uh, you're but a youth, and he's been a warrior since his youth. In other words, he's been a battle, or he's been a warrior since you've been alive. And David is saying that might be true, but you're kind of missing the only point that matters, and that is if the Lord is for me, uh, God will rescue me. But Saul could not see past the physical to see, to realize that it was actually something happening in the spiritual Now, I want to fast forward about a thousand years, and the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to the church at Ephesus in uh, chapter 6, verse 12, and he says this, our battle or our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In other words, there is more going on than what meets the eye. Uh, We cannot get so caught up in what we see in the physical that we don't recognize what's going on around us is actually spiritual. So when you turn on the news and you see attacks against Christianity, or or you see that the family is under attack, or that God's design for marriage is under attack, or that our children are under attack, church, it is not physical, it is spiritual. And don't believe for a moment that a policy is the solution, or the government is the solution, or that a politician is the solution, because church, you cannot provide a a, a physical solution for a spiritual problem. The only solution for the problems of our nation is Jesus Christ. At church, a few years ago, a friend of mine, some of you will know who I'm talking about, he fell off a roof and and he went to the hospital And they told him, go home, rest, take some pain medication, you'll be fine. And he said, that sounds great in theory. The only problem is I can't walk. They said, oh, you can't walk. Well, maybe we should run some more tests. And they ran more tests, and they said, oh, you have internal bleeding. We're going to life flight you to another hospital to save your life here. And what you could see on the outside was a few bumps and bruises. But something was taking place on the inside that was far more relevant. And when we turn on the news... And there are attacks against churches and everything we stand for and marriage and family and children and we see the physical. Do not be deceived. This is not a physical battle, church. This is a spiritual battle and spiritual problems require spiritual solutions. Spiritual battles require spiritual weaponry. And King Saul in this story, he tries putting his armor on David and said, fight the way that I fight. And David said, I can't wear that stuff. I know how to fight because the battle is the Lord's. And the only fix to the problems that we see around us, church, is Jesus Christ. And you can argue with people until your face turns blue, but the two greatest weapons available to fight this battle are both in your arsenal. The first one is taking time on your knees, crying out to God for revival and telling others about Jesus. Paul said the gospel message is the power to save, the power to salvation, the good news of Jesus Christ. That is our weapon, church. And you can argue and argue and argue, but all you're doing is is wasting your breath if you're not spending time on your knees. If we return to the battle of David and Goliath and and we understand how this single combat, uh, how it was viewed, it reveals something else to us because many, if not all, of the Israelites would have understood 
This is a battle of my God against his God. Uh, And if this is a battle of my God against your God, then what we're dealing with here is not a matter of fear. It's a matter of faith. So when David arrives and no one has accepted Goliath's challenge for 40 days, if you read the text, it almost seems like he's surprised. He's saying, if it's the living God against false gods, then then what's the problem here? Yet there are thousands of Israelites who are also there who recognize this would be a battle of our God against their God, yet they see the physical obstacle in front of them, and they say, I know our God is big, but Goliath is a really big obstacle. And I just wonder, church, how, how, how often does our faith waver depending on the size of the obstacle? We say, yes, I trust God, but pastor, this is cancer. Pastor, I trust God, but this is fill in the blank with whatever your obstacle is. Church, if you can trust him in anything, you can trust him in everything. And and the Bible says that all of Israel, including Saul, are there and they are trembling in fear at the sight of Goliath. Even though there's this belief in the background that it's my God against their God, they simply could not get past the size of the obstacle. And only one man had the faith to say, my God's bigger than even that. My God is bigger than even that. And I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 8 when Jesus is sleeping on the boat in the middle of the storm and the disciples say, we're going to drown. And they wake him up and they're fearing for their life. And Jesus, instead of rebuking their fear, he addresses their lack of faith. He doesn't say the problem is you have too much fear. He says the problem is you have too little faith. Fear is never the condition Fear is a symptom of the condition. The condition is a lack of faith. And that's why Jesus, when he sees great faith, he applauds it. And when he sees a lack of faith, he challenges it. Because in Jesus' eyes, it is all about faith and your level and your ability to trust him in every situation. I want to take us back to the scripture. Uh, Renee, you can go ahead and come. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, uh, we read this earlier, but it says uh, in verse 48, as the Philistine moved closer to attack David, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. And it's the next verse where David takes out the stone and he slings it into his forehead. But what I want you to see is that even though David recognized this was a spiritual matter, he did not say... The battle is the Lord's, so hang in there. I'm going home to take care of the sheep. Uh, In David's life, recognizing that the battle is the Lord's did not negate or prevent action. It actually propelled him into action. He could have told Saul, the battle is the Lord's. I'm out of here. Just trust. But actually what we have is because he trusted God so much, it spurred him into action. And in James chapter 2, it says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? uh, Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, 
if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And someone will say to you, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds. I'll show you my faith by my deeds. Faith in Christ is a powerful thing, but it's not meant to be stored on the inside and to be never expressed on the outside. God has placed that faith in you so that you will express it, church. So that you will share it with people. We live in a messed up world right now. I might be the only one who's seen that, but it's pretty messed up. God has given you every weapon necessary to fight the battle. And it's not to yell louder. louder. It's to pray harder. And then with that faith, with that understanding that God can breathe life into the dead dry bones, I was reminded this week, when I look at America, I see a valley of dry bones. The beautiful thing about that story in Scripture is that's not where it ends. God says prophesy even to the deadest place, the place that has no life and no hope, the place that everyone has given up on. Speak life. And the Bible says that the Spirit of God came to the deadest place there was, a valley of dry bones, and by the Spirit of God, the breath of God, He brought it back to life, church. One of the most powerful faiths that you can have in Scripture is faith on behalf of another. And I believe, church, we need to have faith on behalf of our schools, faith on the behalf of our families, and faith on behalf of our nation. But with that faith, we have deeds. With that faith, we also speak out the gospel truth, the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen? Can you stand with me this morning? Father, we recognize this morning that you have equipped us for battle. I pray as we leave this place today that, that we don't go looking for a fight, but we go looking for a place where we can offer salvation. This morning, Lord, as a church, we pray for our own valley of dry bones. The places that we see around us, Lord, where we say there's no hope there. We pray, God, breathe life. We pray, Lord, send us to those places equipped with boldness, Lord, in your spirit and your gospel. Church, as Renee leads us, uh, I want to challenge you to begin using one of your weapons, and that weapon is prayer. So that place that you know in your life, or whether it's this nation where there is a valley of dry bones, a place with no hope, 
as Renee leads us, begin praying and lifting up that place to God. Holy Spirit, would you set those places on our heart in this time, we pray. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.